All right, so we're going to go ahead and get started this morning. We're in Mark again, of course, and uh, we've been studying with you know studying it for some time. I want to. Um, this morning's interesting because it really is something. Uh, Ryan will joke with me and say like, "You love going after religious people." Well, we live among religious people. Like this is where we live, uh, and um, it is certainly changing. But our culture is very much like religious and very much tied to Christianity. And so as a result, like, um, there's a lot of cultural Christianity. That's just kind of what we experience. That's what you're tempted with in your life often. And uh, cultural Christianity is a frightening thing. And it's one of those things because you could uh, spend your whole life in the church and uh, think that you're in really good shape. And if you have spent your whole life in the church thinking you're in really good shape, you've probably, like, got a problem. And it's a frightening place to be, you know, for us. And so... Uh, we're going to talk about that some this morning because Jesus is going to address that because you had cultural Judaism that was huge and it was uh, st- uh, strong in that the area where Jesus was and he's going to confront that. So several years ago I went to a church randomly um, and it was uh, there was singing and uh, scripture reading and things like that going on and uh, this older distinguished gentleman stood up at the pulpit. He read from the Gospels. It was an encounter with Jesus and the Pharisees, and for whatever reason, after he read it, he said, those guys don't seem that bad at all. And I was like, the Pharisees? I mean, I want to raise my hand. The Pharisees? And that, that's exactly what he's saying. They don't seem that bad at all. You know, it's interesting. Religion can destroy you just as quick as rebellion can, because it is rebellion. That, that, that's, I mean, that, that, it is rebellion. And so you have to guard and watch and consider yourself and where you are. You remember that the people that rejected Jesus were the religious people, and the people that were coming to him were the tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. That's who, was, that, that's who came to Jesus. And so when you think about your life and you look at it and you say, oh my goodness, I am... Um, someone that grew up in this religious circle and I have all this history and maybe my family has history and I know all the answers in the Bible, or at least I think I do. Uh, I have it all clear and perfect in my head and everybody's wrong and we're right or I'm right or my family's right. And wherever, if you find yourself there, you have to stop and say, hold on just a second. Um, When Jesus addressed those kinds of people, uh, they actually were in worse shape than anyone else. And so I think we need to stop and consider that. I wanted you to hear a few things about the Pharisees. John the Baptist wasn't confused about them. You know what he said? They show up at the baptism that John was doing. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? They had done all these different ritual cleansings themselves, but he's looking at them and saying, like, hey, you brood of vipers. You'll see that later. Uh, Jesus says about them, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Another shocking statement. Like, to think about that, you think, well, hold on just a second. Everybody in the culture thought they were the most righteous. They were very religious, and they, they like, counted out how many pieces of mint that they were going to tie. They, they did all of that. They did all those things. That they were very religious, very religious. They asked to G, uh, Jesus, like, or they asked his disciples, they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? 
they, they even kept themselves pure from the bad people. You know? They stayed away from those bad folks. That, that's kind of the way you would see that. Uh, going on in Matthew, um, they ask of Jesus about fasting. And later they'll say about Jesus, you know his works that he's doing? He cast out demons by the prince of demons. They're not somebody I want to associate with. That's not somebody I want to high five. That's somebody that scares the fire out of me, like these particular people. This is what else he says in Matthew 23. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Is that not shocking? You are closing the door. How are they closing the door to people? Because in their self-righteousness, they've created a religious system that God does not please with. And so some people say, I could never live up to the scribes and the Pharisees. And so what happens? The scribes and the Pharisees stay out of the kingdom and the people that listen to them because they're the religious leaders stay out of the kingdom. Matthew 23, 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for listen to this. They're so religious that they're evangelists. They're missionaries. For you travel across sea and land to make yourself a single proselyte, which is like someone coming into their religion, you might say. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. That's not somebody that I think are pretty good folk. They might be in a southern Christian context where you have three or four sins that if you haven't committed make you feel better than everybody else. You might think they're pretty good folk. But the Bible teaches that they were the most dangerously destructive people with regard to the Christianity because they had a form of godliness. Okay, so today, he's going, Jesus is going to confront these people with regard to the Bible, and we, you would say, well, it's more specifically the law, but we're just going to speak of it in those terms, and cleanliness. So, We'll just kind of look at that as we go. But you'll understand, they gathered together, the Pharisees gathered together, which were kind of a lay movement. And you might meet people like that where it's like, they're a part of the, uh, maybe you say, well, they're not formal ministers, but they know a lot about the Bible. You know, but they were an organized group, kind of a, a lay group, and were very useful in, um, well, in, in causing trouble actually for the people, but they tried to keep everybody straight. Uh, and he, there was with some of the scribes uh, he had, that had come from Jerusalem. So the scribes are kind of the religious leaders in Jerusalem that are coming over. And so these people are coming together and they're going to attack Jesus. It's like a formal group that's come. Um, they have come, the scribes have traveled 90 miles to get there. So it's not like some small thing that they had done. And they weren't driving in a car at 70 miles an hour. You know? Okay, so just as a statement. All right, verse 2, 3, and 4. And they, they, they look out, and they saw some of his disciples eating uh, with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. 
And so Mark's going to go on and say, in their tradition, and you, you might do this, if it were me and I had a pen, I would mark every reference to defiled and every reference to tradition, and this kind of like, you know, it will help you think about the text. But we're talking primarily, I think, about the Bible here and not just defilement, because it's going to be kind of that comparison here as we get started, and at the end we'll talk more about the defilement. So, you look at this and you say, okay, they're talking about this tradition of elders so that they have this tradition that they stand by and they say, hey, you should wash your hands if you've been in the marketplace, if you've, uh, with certain cups, with pots, with copper vessels, all these things should be washed. And here these disciples are of Jesus, they're not washing their hands correctly. They must be the most ungodly people in the room. That's kind of the idea. Okay, so... Again, you can mark all those references to defilement and tradition, and it will help you kind of understand, again, seeing what's going on here. So the deal is, is um, these rituals kind of related to cleanliness and uncleanliness reflect somewhat of what like the rabbis would have in the Scripture that they would uh, teach to the people in the Old Testament. Really, the only time we talk about washing is tied to the priest. And so this is kind of something they've stepped beyond that. Um, they, the Jews, when they were in exile, they, would, uh, they were around a lot of Gentiles, and so they really were like, those are the dirtiest people ever. They would call them dogs, and dogs not like Fido that stays at your house, but like bad dogs, like out like wild, and dogs you wouldn't really want to touch or be around. And so they tried to like focus even more so on keeping themselves clean. And so that's kind of what is going on here. Um, for the rabbi, like a Pharisaic kind of rabbi, any human excretion, women after childbirth, corpses, dead animals, creeping things, idols, and certain classes of people, such as lepers, Samaritans, and Gentiles, all these type of people, they were like unclean, okay? And all these things were unclean. And so ritual washings were meant to like clean somebody. Now, here's the thing. You say, well, shouldn't you wash your hands? I mean, did you not go through COVID, you know, or whatever? And it's like, yeah, we're not saying you don't wash your hands, but the emphasis here is not about cleanliness in that sense. It's about spiritual cleanliness. And that's kind of the, at the heart of what's going on. Um, it's not about hygiene. It's about ritual uncleanness is kind of at the heart. And they're saying, like, you need to be clean. Um, the Pharisees might be somebody, like, you ever had somebody that says cleanliness is next to godliness? And you're like, that's interesting. Do you preach? Is that the 11th commandment? You know, or whatever, you know. But, okay. But you might do that, and you'll be like, well, hold on just a second. Isn't that in the Bible? And it's like, well, no. It's in your Bible that you wrote. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. All right. So, sorry. Certainly, I was the only one laughing. Everybody else like, I can't stand that dude. Okay. Um, I think it's just important, okay, so, so to, to put that together and to understand it. One author said it this way. It's almost like um, when you think about this clean and unclean thing is if you were in authoritarian society, if you were in that, like Nazi Germany, and somebody like uh, got in trouble and they considered them a spy and then nobody will even look them in the eye or talk to them, they're like isolating themselves from those people. Uh, a couple of things just to think about in this, they wrote all this down in a thing called the Mishnah. And they would have this interpretive document and you know what 25% of it was filled with? cleanliness you know that's what it spent all of its time on or at least a quarter of its time on and so 
Mark is speaking to these people, and he's explaining probably to a Gentile audience, like this is kind of some of this is the stuff that's going on and why they're struggling with these things. Verse 5. And the Pharisees and scribes ask him, Why do your, your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, um, but eat with defiled hands? And so, again, as we talked about, you're talking about this uncleanliness thing, and they're saying, like, why do they do this? Why do they act in such a way? And so, because in their writing that they put down and in their oral tradition, the disciples aren't living up to these things. They're not a, a civilized people, certainly not spiritually civilized. And so what is going on with that? And so uh, you, you have to, again, just thinking about the Mishnah, I'll say one more thing about it. It's like uh, the idea was it was a fence around the Torah. Now, what is that? The first five books, the law. It was a fence. They needed a fence around God's law. Do you know why? Because it wasn't that uh, detailed. They needed to add details to God's law. So they built a fence around God's law to protect it because them and their human dignity and the wonder of their morality and the glory of their understanding of themselves thought we need to help God with his law. So they put a fence around it. And guess what? They could all, for them, it was like, all those things, they could live up to them. But the average person may not be, which is why they're dirty and we're clean. It's scary. I mean, this is a scary thing. If you think like this morning, you're like, hmm, I don't know that I ever struggle with that. Well, you do. You know, that's what you want to say. You do. I mean, that's just a reality. We, we do. We have these things in our minds, and if we're not careful and not checked by the Word of God, we will buy into that. So, what happens when religious people take God's perfect law and mess with it? They pervert it. They exaggerate things that make no sense. Have you ever been somebody where Jesus talked about straining a gnat? You know, have you ever been around somebody where you're like, are we really talking about this right now? You know, it's like, well, we don't go out to eat ever, like, but you live in a $5 million home. Like, your problem with your spending it's not whether you went out to eat, it's like how much you spent on all your toys. You know, it's kind of that, that deal where it's like these, these, these people, when you think about the Pharisees, they're kind of like, they exaggerate the things that they feel like they can control and that they can use to control other people. That's kind of how they do. So they will put a magnifying glass on something that you're like, What? And they will minimize the things that you're like, that's the big thing. That's the thing. You know, that kind of thing. So, in verses 6 through 9, Jesus responds. He says, Isaiah prophesied about you. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. In vain they worship. Teaching the doctrine, look, as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your traditions. He says, you're rejecting. You are rejecting the commandments of God. And you are taking on your traditions. They're your Bible. 
and you look really religious, but your heart is far from me. It is everything about what you do is empty and useless. It is vain. It is wasted. There's nothing to it. It is dead. It is, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's spiritual like foolishness. And so what happens is in their deal, like he's saying, like you've lost the whole, you've rejected the whole commandments of God for your traditions. You've lost everything. You have nothing here. They are zealous. But in their zeal, they substituted the teaching of God for their own teaching, man-made religion. Man-made religion always exalts man. Man-made religion always says, I'm going to somehow like make it to God by climbing the ladder to God and He's going to accept me for my righteousness. That is man's way. Man's way is not like Jacob's ladder where God's coming down to us. Man's way is to climb up. And he's going to think of himself as doing it. And he's foolish enough to see his sin as minimal because what he maximizes is things that may not be sins at all. That's crazy. That is just, it's, it's shocking. So 10 through 13, look at what he uses as an example. If you haven't studied all this, we're not going to go into every little thing because I could talk about this for a long time. Just to say this, one of the Ten Commandments is to honor your father and mother. And one of the things that fleshed out in that was like, if you revile your father and mother, like you're under punishment of death as if you had murdered. Right? So what have they done? They have this thing called Corbin. They could say something like this. I got some land over here. My parents need a place to stay, but remember last year I devoted it to God? Sorry, parents, but I'm still cutting the timber off of it. You know what I'm saying? Like they could still use the land. That's kind of an East Texas thing. People, have, you know, we, piney woods, sorry. Okay, but like they could use the land for their own use, but they've set it aside for to give to the church when they pass. But while they're waiting, they're going to get all they can out of it. But mom and dad over there, they may starve. I, but I, what can I do? I mean, I already devoted it to the church. That's kind of the idea. So this is kind of a shocking thing to see because what happens is in all their formality with their traditions that are uh, their counterfeit serving God traditions, in all of their counterfeit stuff, um, they really have rejected the very heart of the law of God. The, the, I mean, one of the Ten Commandments to honor your parents is lost on them. But they're still at worship every week. They were on Saturday worshiping, at other times worshiping, but they missed the whole thing. So Jesus and on the Bible, dealing with the Pharisees, is he's saying like, look, you've created your own book that looks like it's close to mine, but it's actually a totally, it's lies, and it damns people, and it's going to damn your soul. That's kind of the picture. So, you continue forward. Jesus on cleanliness, verse 14 and 15. What you see here is, we're going to deal with the issue of defilement because Jesus is not going to let this thing go. He's not going to let the thing of like dirty hands go. Physically dirty hands. If you're like somebody that loves to clean and all that kind of stuff, it would be easy for you to say to your kids, listen, part of our religion, I know it's not in the Bible, but is that you wash your hands. 
ten times a day, you know, and we keep everything right, you know, because this is what right looks like, and God's going to be happy with that. You're like, but what about their soul? I don't care about their soul. They better have some clean hands in here, you know, that kind of thing. Does that make sense? Okay, good. So Jesus on cleanliness is when he's dealing with this, when you're thinking about it, he stops and says, listen to me, hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside of a man that by going into him can defile him, but things that come out of a person are what defile him. Hmm, this is interesting. He takes that and kind of like reapplies their thoughts. They are talking about being clean, and he says, okay, let's talk about clean. Let's just talk about it just for a moment. What do you think really makes you dirty? What do you think really makes you dirty? What, okay, when you stand before God one day, what do you think really makes you dirty? That's kind of the, the thing. In verse 17 through 20, after saying that, the disciples asked him alone, kind of, they said, they said to him, to the, and he said to them, verse 18, they asked him kind of about it. He said, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that wherever, or, or what, I'm sorry, that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. He's saying, like, don't you understand that? Don't you understand that whatever you're eating, even if it's dirty or whatever, and you could do a long argument on different things about this, but he's just saying, like, you think that the, fo the food comes in and it's gone. It comes in and it's gone. You think that's the biggest thing, the biggest issue that you face? I, I mean, really? That's kind of the idea here. He is discussing spiritual realities, and he says, listen, where the, the real problem lies is the heart. What is the heart? It's the human personality, the will, the place of desires. It's what drives everything. And so he's going to say, like, Mark even kind of slips this in, all foods are, are, are clean now, kind of. Th things change with Jesus, certainly, but we don't have time to go into that. But just to say, like, hey, listen, the heart of the matter is your heart. That's the issue. Uh, I remember there was a Paul Tripp one time, he took a bottle of water and he shook it and the water splashed out and he said, that's what's in your heart. Like when you shake that, that comes out of the heart. Those are the things that are corrupting. Th those are the things that are destroying you. It's what is bubbling up out of your heart. So in verse 21 he says, for from within or out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So you kind of say here, let's take these down. Look at those real quick. There are six things that are kind of tied to evil acts. Sexual immorality being one. Anything practiced outside of marriage between a man and a woman, any sexual practice outside of that, that is an act that you would say, now that's evil. And they had all kinds of laws about that that freed them up from some of those things uh, the, the, the Jewish uh, leaders did. Theft, when you take something that's not yours um, from someone else. Murder, taking someone's life. Adultery, stepping outside of your own marriage. Coveting, desire and pursuit of something that someone else has. Wickedness, any evil thing that you could do. And so he kind of lists out all these actions, those things. Sometimes you, you think, hey, religious people, don't you think the most important thing is that? How much time does it take you to deal with that? No, oh, not much. I got that dealt with like years ago. I dealt with that. Did you ever say that to yourself? Like, those aren't even 
They're not even on the radar for me. Like, those are the things you need to be thinking about. Somebody asked me one time, like, how do you live the Christian life? I just want to know how to live the Christian life. I was like, hmm, you just need to, let's just sit down with the Ten Commandments for a little bit. When you get done with that, you know, like faith and practice, like if you get done with that, then we can kind of go from there. Well, they're not going to finish with that because there's issues going on within the heart. The second six deal with evil attitudes. Deceit, where you want to conceal something like a little kid, like hiding. What you got in your hand? You know, it's like, well, God can see behind, you know, your back, right? They're, They're concealing something. Sensuality, like craving after sexual things. Envy. Uh, just being like discontented with the things that you have, slander, making statements that are dangerous to other people's character or reputation, pride, believing yourself to be better than others, looking down on others, foolishness, lacking wisdom, being rash, irresponsible. And so he says, here's some actions and some heart attitudes that are really at the heart of what it means to live the Christian life. And we need to think about that. Why do religious people not like the heart issues? You know why religious people hate heart issue stuff? Hmm. Because they're too convicting. The heart issues, when you deal with these things, nobody stands at the end and like has their head up and like, God's going to save me because I've been good. I'm so good. My heart is so good. Y'all don't y'all, y'all understand? That... that That is kind of the idea here. So what he's saying is, like with a religious person, when Jesus speaks to them, they're not sitting there even thinking like, God will do 50% and I'll do my 50%. We're in partnership. No. They're saying like, this situation is so dark and your heart is so messed up that you need a real Savior, not a partial one. You don't need a partial Savior. You don't need one that gave 50%. You need a real Savior. So, pulling all this together, he is going to show you both that the law of God is the foundational thing. That is what we stand upon. And he's also going to show you that inward purity and motive and intent are the things. Like what's going on there. So that when you look at your life and you think, you go around and tell people something like this, well, we don't have a TV in our house. Okay. We don't dance. Okay. We don't drink. We don't purchase items at this store or that store. We don't go to public school. Only do Christian private school or homeschool. When we say something like, we never miss church. We read our Bibles every day. We only listen to Christian music. We use God's diet and God's oils. We do not use formula for our children. I mean, just like we can make a lot of lists of things that people are like, now this is this. I mean, I'm telling you. You know, some of these things may be helpful, but they are not gospel. And so when you think about your presence with others on social media, all of those things, and you think about what, do you, what would people say would be the content of, what, of your religion if it reflects something other than like what's in the book, 
you're in bad shape. Bad shape. And if you think somehow in your religion that you have met up to God's standard and that your heart is free and clear of anything, like you're in really, really bad shape. The Bible teaches us that we need Christ in His saving work. We don't focus on the inconsequential. We focus on the big issues presented in the Scripture. We're not trying to protect God's law. We're trying to see God's law clearly. And when we see it, we understand that we have a desperate need to be saved by a real Savior. We don't want to be a fake. We don't want false cleanness. We don't want external cleanness like a whitewashed tomb. We want transformation. And the only way to deal with that is to come to the living Savior who came to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us. And he came also to give us a new heart so that we could desire, so that we would desire to do the right things. And when we fail to, we go back to him. And we say, he's forgiven me. And then we say, God, give me the desire to do what I should do. Tim Keller passed away this last week. And he is a a guy that really the Lord used um, to influence a lot of people in our church and in my own life just to remind me of what the gospel is. And one of the quotes that he's known for is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. May we treasure your word. May it penetrate our hearts. May it leave us wounded so that we know that we need to cry out for healing. May it drive us to the Savior who is the only one accepted by God whose sacrifice was perfect, whose life was perfect, and who has given us life. We ask that you would show us that and demonstrate that in our hearts and in the lives of our families and this church family. In Christ's name, amen.